Good morning, Randy Brunson here with Centurion Advisory Group on the podcast, Stewarding Family Wealth. Thank you to Amanda Pirch for her phenomenal job of engineering behind the scenes for us here at Gwinnett Business Radio X in the studio today. Second episode is Miss Angela Ammons. Angela is the CEO of Clinch Memorial Hospital located in suburban homerville georgia angela welcome to the studio thank you so much randy for having me yes suburban next to the swamp rural georgia yes it's beautiful clinch <laughs> county though yes well i looked up so so all right so uh, let's talk about on this episode let's talk about two or three things clinch memorial hospital homerville where homerville is uh your role at clinch what you've learned over the last two or three years and then where Clinch Memorial fits in the rural hospital organization framework in Georgia and what that means for state taxpayers. So first of all, help us locate Clinch County and Homerville. Where where are you on the map? Okay, we are located in South Georgia, um, east of Valdosta, Georgia, west of Waycross, Georgia. So we're right above the Florida line down um, near the Okefenokee Swamp. So that is where we are at the very bottom. Okay, so so... Valdosta is in Lowndes County. It is, yes. Which I think Lowndes County abuts the Florida line. Is that right? That's correct. Okay. And so if, if I'm going down 75, I exit at Valdosta, I turn left to go over to Homerville, right? That's correct. Okay. Yes. But if I'm in Ware County where Waycross is, Yes. And I remember somebody from the Ware County Chamber one time saying that Waycross was the biggest city in the biggest county in the biggest state east of Mississippi. That is correct. Okay. So if I'm headed to Homerville from Waycross, I'm headed west. Yes. Okay, so because Ware County is also on the on the state line, so you've got Ware, then Clinch, and then uh, Lowndes down there right on the state line. That's correct, okay. yes. Okay, all right, and so the county, uh, Valdosta is, uh, I don't know what the population is, but it's a big enough city to have college there, and Waycross is a good-sized city in mm-hmm. South Georgia, but talk about Clinch County. The population's what? The population of Clinch County is roughly about 6,900 people. Um, the last time I checked, we do have a problem with out-migration of people leaving um, the county to move elsewhere. When kids go off to college, they usually like to stay where they get their education. So very few people move back. So I think we're right under 6,900 people now. Okay. Okay. And so so like many, many of the rural counties of Georgia, the rural counties of America, frankly, mm-hmm. is there's that challenge of maintaining your population base because the kids they finish high school if they head to college they may send letters or come and visit but they don't come back home too much no just like my sons have sworn they will never move back to rural georgia (laughs) (laughs) once you're in atlanta right yes yes exactly one's at uga and so on and so forth so right so yeah that's a that's a classic problem with Mm -hmm. rural america is just the out the the out migration so the the employers there you were telling me uh, yesterday about the employers you've got three or four major employers who are they we do we have um, a company called mauser and they're a packaging company and then we also have lee container they are a packaging company as well and they make um, plastic containers and have two other factories in iowa and texas and then we have the school board Mm-hmm. And then Clinch Memorial Hospital um, uh, employs a good deal of people, as well as the city and the county. Okay, all right. So, so that's the um, that's that's where people work in, in Clinch County is at the manufacturers, yes. and then of course the the school and the hospital and the the county government. Yes, sir. That is okay. correct. You were you had moved into management, uh, healthcare management, mm-hmm. and along the way you met someone that was on the board of Clinch. You were you and your family were in Waycross, forty forty five minutes east of Homerville. Right, yes. You had met 
somebody that was on the hospital board at Clinch Memorial Hospital. That is correct. I met his wife. Um, uh, Robbie Lee was the secretary of Clinch uh, Memorial Hospital Hospital Board, and um, and his wife had worked for me as a nurse when we worked for HCM Mayo Clinic. And I also, she had also joined me on a, a, mission, a medical mission trip that I'd taken to Honduras because okay. that's a, a very near and dear passion of mine. Um, and she had went and we would, you know, strike conversations and she would tell me how much she loved Clinch County and loved the hospital and just so worried about it being closed. And I would ask her about some of the things and I would just offer a couple of ideas like, sure. well, have you looked at this? Well, maybe the hospital could look at possibly doing this. And next thing you know, I was being asked if I wanted to interview and apply for the CEO position. And, you know, at first I immediately hesitated. Oh, I am a registered nurse. I've never been a CEO before. You know, I'm in management. Do you have me confused with somebody different? Um, And they're like, no. And so typed up my resume and sent it over. And then the hospital board attorney, Jeff Helms, called me and said, we would love to sit down and meet with you and the board. First response was the panic. Second response said, listen, this didn't happen for nothing. So you're either going to learn something from the interview process um, and you're just going to walk away from that. Because how many people get the opportunity to actually interview for a CEO? And here's my 15-year-old high school dropout girl, you know, mother that uh, only understands basic prose. I'm like, go and get this. What are you talking about? Just do it. Uh, You deserve it just as much as the next person. So when interviewed, and I understand they were interviewing some seasoned CEOs, so my competitive nature kind of kicked in a little bit more. I was like, oh my gosh, I mean, competitive CEOs too? And I didn't think about it. I didn't think about it again. I just prayed about it and say, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be, and I'm not going to worry about it. And then a few weeks later, lo and behold, they called and offered me the position. So, wow. and here we are four years later. So, so you got that first call, there was that panic of, because, you know, when you looked in the mirror, you saw a nurse, mom, high school dropout, yeah. and here you were interviewing for the CEO position. Right. Yes. Right. And then the first day on the job, I mean, and I've told the story before, a new briefcase, you know, great new shoes, great dress. I was going to save Clinch County. And by 10 o'clock, I think I had taken two packs of goodie powders and drank 10 cups of coffee because <laughs> I was not prepared for what I had walked into. I knew financially they were struggling, but they had a huge problem within their culture. And they had a huge problem um, facilities-wise, and I was not a facilities expert. I mean, there are certain things that had just not been paid close attention to and managed like it should. And literally, I mean, Randy, I walked in, and I had people who refused to shake my hand as the CEO of the hospital. And, you know, when you walk into Walmart, when they had door greeters, you greet the door greeter. But, you know, to be in an environment where an employee thought it was okay not to shake the hand of the new CEO was just mind-blowing to me. And I literally thought I was an episode of Punk. I, I said, there are hidden cameras somewhere. This cannot be the truth. And even for weeks after, I would make rounds in the hospital. I would walk up to the nurse's station or I would speak to people and they would just completely ignore me. And I would have to tap on the desk after about three hellos and say, excuse me, did you not hear me say hello to you? Oh, wow. yes, I heard you. So just it was just a huge culture culture oh my shock. goodness so yes. so the culture was unhealthy the physical infrastructure was in desperate need of repair and financials were on life support three days cash on hand wow uh, and i really don't know how they made it thus far but our, our cfo who's a good friend of mine sandra hughes i mean she was great at moving those numbers and finding money at the last minute when we needed it and there was always a miracle that came through and 
It was it was extremely difficult. Everyone wanted me to save the hospital as long as it didn't personally affect them as an employee. <laughs> and you know that's just very hard to do. That is a challenge. Change all this, but don't require change. Right, still me. give us raises, but you know, you know, and so forth and so forth. It was very very hard. And um, my second board meeting ever was our auditors, Draft and Tucker, doing their year end uh, financial presentation. They said due to multi million dollar year losses you're eventually going to close if you don't do something. And I remember leaving that board meeting in tears going, I have been hired to be the scapegoat of the closure of Clinch Moral Hospital. My my professional career is over. What am I doing? But then the survivor part in me kicked in and said, you've been through much worse than this. You know, there, there are chapters to your story that no one will ever read. You can do this. And so I remembered all the faces of the employees that, that I, I had started to work with. I'm like, this hospital is not going to close. We can't allow that to happen. And it just so happened on the first day of my job, a month before, I had researched uh, successful CEOs of critical access hospitals in Georgia. And Robin Rao is a, the CEO of Miller County Hospital. Her name kept popping up. First day on the job. And it was a huge huge thing for me to do that I picked up the phone called her miraculously the call went in to her and she answered the phone and if anybody ever knows Robin Rao out there at Miller County she's you know five foot two from up north and you know just uh, I think she cusses like every <laughs> few minutes just lets them fly but I said hey Robin I said you don't know me I'm Angela Ammons and today is my first day on the job as CEO of, of Clinch County Hospital I'm an RN this is my first role as a CEO I've researched you and I'm acutely aware the things I do not know and I truly need a mentor will you agree to be my mentor and she put down the phone and four letter words I could hear them (laughs) and she picked up the phone she goes what do you need and from there we started this relationship to where I have learned a lot from her I am still learning a large uh, amount of wealth of information that I'll never forget but we started this relationship, and she had implemented a very uh, successful service line at her hospital. And um, she was able to share the information with me, and my team jumped on board. And we went from an average daily census of a, about 1.8 patients per day, and we're a 25-bed critical access hospital. And you and I both know, you're a numbers guy, 1.8 patients are never going to pay the bills. That's we less can't than survive. 10%. Yes, utilization. Yes. Absolutely not. Uh, yes, and we had an underutilized service line called swing bed. So when you're too sick to go home but not uh, sick enough to stay in the hospital, you can go to rehab. And critical access hospitals have a four-day length of stay that we must meet. You have to go somewhere else unless you go to a rehab service. And so we were able to tap into that, and um, it, it literally has saved our hospital. It really has. But, you know, I say that because it was it was nervous. It was nerve-wracking for me because we had to try something new. I had a community who didn't understand what we were doing. I have a, had a brand-new board, and we all get along great now, but I had a brand-new board who doubted every decision I made because I was a new CEO, and they really were not familiar with health care. And great business people, business-minded, but not familiar with health care and the intricacies of that. And uh, I had a team of staff who literally sit there and twiddled their thumbs 10 hours out of the day. They were watching Netflix doing their homework. You know, and we went from one or two patients that can walk to talk to we were taking care of severely compromised patients who are paralyzed on a vent, who are trait, who had massive wounds, who needed attention 11 and a half hours out of the day. So that was a huge stretch for us, but it saved us. Trying something new and stepping outside of that comfort zone, even though when everybody is speaking against you, 
you know, they thought, well, let's just increase our prices. Well, no, we don't need to do that. We need people to come in our door before we talk about increasing prices. So on the, on the people side, they extended an offer to you, and yet the board was skeptical. Yes. All right. So you walk in an environment where the board is skeptical, the staff will not speak to you. Yes. So in, in terms of people, what are, what are the two or three things that you did either once or consistently to get buy-in from the board and the staff? I think it's just being consistent and being very transparent when I failed at something or learning how to be a different professional. I mean, really, and I have grown professionally and personally um, in this role as CEO. I mean, I went from in a meeting going, are you crazy? Why would you say that? (laughs) Where I've learned to say, uh, I really appreciate your perspective on that. Would you mind elaborating on that a little bit more? So uh, that's a a new way of talking that I've gone um, acclimated to. But it it was hard. You had to be consistent. You had to ask for forgiveness. And you um, just had to keep pushing. And when everyone doubted you, you just had to move in and uh, just... uh, move forward and just keep your head down you know it's just someone gave advice to one of my youngest sons who just went to the air force and they said just keep your head down and move forward and that's what i did and that's what i've always done my entire life and it hasn't been easy and we went from a hospital that was on the verge of closure that no one knew who we were no one knew who we were they confused us with another closed hospital to where we have literally grown from 90 employees to 150 FTEs. We've recruited a physician, a hospital-employed physician that we haven't had in years. And we have received a congressional record uh, recognition from Bunny Carter, and it was on C-SPAN. And we have received awards for CEO of the Year, Hospital of the Year Award. We were in Time Magazine in November 2020. Wow. Time Magazine reached out wow. to us and did a feature article on our turnaround story and our relationship with my mentor, Robin Rao. I mean, when has that happened? So it is a true miracle that I feel like I'm in this position. But due to the uh, great work of my team, we have gotten recognition because of the work and the consistency and not sitting back waiting for something to happen. You know, I was uh, recently I finished a book by Lou Gerstner. Lou Gerstner was... CEO of IBM from 1992 to about 2002. He led through 10 years of just drastic change in the technology world. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows IBM. Not everyone knows Lou Gerstner. Okay. But he wrote a bio of, of his time, primarily of his time at uh, IBM. Mm-hmm. And it's a great read if you like business bios, I business do. books. Okay. So look it up. It's, okay. called, uh, it's called Who Says Elephants Can't Dance? <laughs> Okay. okay. I have it in hard copy. I love copy. the title. Yeah. It, it's a great title. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, he's MBA from Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth. You know, just the opposite of your story, right? Yes. Right. Two parents at home, several brothers, uh, was on his way to Notre Dame, so on and so forth. But three quarters of the way through the book, he's, he shifts. Mm-hmm. And he says, here's what I've learned. And the first page of that last section was worth the entire book. He said, it takes three things. Focus execution and personal leadership mm-hmm. and what I've heard you say over and over in these in these in this time we had together is just consistent focus you knew what you wanted you learned early on to survive you've mastered the art of focus and of execution just getting it done yes getting it done getting it done and then what you learned you were talking about when you were saying what you said when somebody offers a comment instead of saying you're ugly and your mother dresses you funny, which is really not the way to win friends and influence people. Right, right. And you're trying to remember when you heard a stupid or comment, and it's like, 
uh, I understand that comment because I've internally I've reacted far too much like that over the years. You've learned instead to say, that's an interesting observation, tell me more, or whatever you said. It's that way of engaging people. That's just that's personal leadership. So you've done you've you've done that. You've sounds like you've done it really well. So just all kinds of awards. Are there two or three things in the last four years that you are just major takeaways, things you've learned? From, from your time as CEO? Yes, um, I. Uh, the biggest thing I've learned is that um, you're gonna work with difficult people in every job that you have. You just gotta learn to deal with it. And um, a lot of people and a lot of my peers and friends, and I still, uh, some I don't have those anymore, but uh, when you do better, and sometimes when you become a little bit more successful, there are people who can't handle it. And they're gonna start throwing rocks. And I remember some people, didn't understand how I could become CEO, and it's just so easy how she had it easy, and it's not easy. And and I feel, and I'm torn between telling a story about this and not, but I believe there are some people, some female women, female leaders, male leaders who are going through a very difficult time with very difficult people. And I just want to encourage you to stay focused on what your goal is. My goal was to save that hospital. But there was a physician in town who um, was not easy to deal with. And if I did not have the this thick skin if I did not remember what my goal was I would have walked away a long time ago and literally um, I would walk into a med staff meeting or go into a performance improvement meeting and this uh, male physician would say and I don't think I'm fat I don't think I'm large at all but he would say Mrs. Ammons have you lost any weight because it doesn't look like it he would he will say that in a professional you? setting or I would he would call my office and I pick up the phone and he would say AA I just have one question for you and I say yes doctor are you still fat and he would laugh and hang up the phone. or And we were doing this um, 5K or this um, special uh, walking session after uh, work. And we were in a professional setting with several team members around the table. And he said, Mrs. Ammons, are you going to be in the um, walking? And I said, yes. And he would say, well, let me know so I can hold my china cabinet still. So when you come by, the, it, it won't, all the china won't bounce out. And everyone in that culture have been used to that kind of toxic behavior. And I knew earlier on in my life, there's a time and a place to fight the battle. You don't need to fight every single day. So I would let him say those things until it affected my staff or whenever he would direct that at my staff. And then one day I said, this is the right point. We had another physician come in and I, you know, we addressed it. And I, I believe now he knows that he cannot say those things to me. I believe my board understands why we don't say those things in the workplace. But if I had not had that shell, that hard shell, I would have walked away a long time ago. Well, that were blowing you out. And, you know, but it's not just that. It was um, interactions with other CEOs. It was interactions with um, people in the community. I think I'm on a closed Facebook group, or w- was for a while, several months, of we have to get rid of the Clinch Moral Hospital CEO. It, it, she has too much power. She's doing this. It doesn't matter that we went from three days cash on hand to over 200 days cash on hand and grown 90 FTEs to 150 to we were featured in Time Magazine. It was just it doesn't matter what good thing you did. There was always a couple of arrows to say, okay, it's not good enough. But Clinchmore Hospital is a great hospital. Rural hospitals throughout Georgia are amazing. We all do a job. And nothing has been highlighted or nothing has been able to allow us to be highlighted more than that than this pandemic that we're still fighting. So there are people who question whether or not rural America needs to exist or rural hospitals need to exist. And I have to tell you, 150 times, yes, we do need to exist. We have a place in everyone's life. When you think about Atlanta and you want good food, you go to a local restaurant. But that good food comes from rural Georgia. 
It does, yes. Uh, and our farmers provide you with those fresh blueberries. And everyone loves to go to the Saturday market, to the farmer's market, and get that. It doesn't just naturally appear there or appear at Kroger. And the same thing with the rural hospitals. You know the surge that happened in larger hospitals of COVID patients and the toll it's taken on healthcare workers. Can you imagine what those numbers would have looked like if critical access in rural hospitals were not in existence? That's, that's true. That's true. I'm, I'm intrigued. And I'm, you're right. If you had not, speaking of this particular doctor, I, I'll not call him a gentleman. If you had not developed the ability to deal with adversity early on, that would have blown you out. But you did find a time to have a conversation with him or to call him out to let him know, okay, this doesn't work. And probably no one had ever called him out before and said, look, you simply cannot behave like this. That is completely and totally unacceptable. You're not going to work. You're not going to say these things, you know, which which is a huge positive. And some people simply need to be confronted. The last 18 months, the last 18 to 24 months, since first quarter of 2020, describe what that's been like. I heard you talk uh, a little bit about the cost of PPE, the personal protective equipment, but talk about what it's been like, the the patient surge, what you've done to survive, what you've experienced, what the cost have been like, what how your staff has responded. What, the, what has that been like? Well, my staff is amazing. I mean, troopers to the very end. I have a phenomenal team of uh, people at Clinchmore Hospital, but, you know, we were unprepared as any other hospital. We are a rural um, critical access hospital, not prepared for a novel virus, not prepared for the supply chain issues that would affect us, uh, the price increase for things, and then also the struggle to get staff to come and work at our hospital. We battled uh, increased costs related to PPE, and that's personal protective equipment, increased costs to food coming into our hospital. And if you already have a very narrow margin, operating margin, and you think about these rural hospitals who have one to two, three days cash on hand, okay, and elective surgeries and elective procedures are your bread and butter. Okay. When a pandemic hits and you have to cancel all of your elective procedures. Wow. What an impact that is for you. So elective procedures are what populate your cash flow? Um, for a lot of rural hospitals, ours was the swing bed program for the vent and trach. So, you know, if we had not made that decision to do something different 18 years prior, I don't know where we would have been. Swing bed. Describe that briefly. We swing have bed, five yes. to seven minutes okay. left, but go ahead and describe that briefly. It's that when you're too sick to go home, but not sick enough to stay in the hospital, you can come for rehab. So we developed that and it really saved our hospital. It brought us a million dollars of revenue. But a lot of hospitals don't do that. They really heavily depend on electric procedures so and and I'll hurry through this but think about the issues that the hospitals were affronted with and we are small rural hospitals Mm -hmm. we do not not all of us have the huge cash flows as Grady Memorial uh, Navicent and so forth we're there on our own as independent tiny hospitals so when every aspect of your cash flow is impacted electric procedures have stopped PPE went from about $28,000 for a 90-day supply to over $100,000. So the personal protective equipment that you were buying, that this is just part of what you buy, it's just part of your... Gloves, mask, gowns, shoes. Right. It's just part of your hospital expense every quarter. Okay. So prior to 2020, your your spend was $28,000 a quarter every 90 days. Yes. During the pandemic, that went to over $100,000 a quarter? Yes, and then it almost halted. There were days we could not get it in. We had no idea we were going to get masks in. So guess what? Nurses and um, the rest of the team stepped in, radiology. We had sewing machines in my boardroom. And in between patient care, they were sewing fabric masks. 
that we could use. The community helped us out. The community rallied. But, you know, there are days that the larger hospital said, no more. We cannot take any more patients in our ER. And Clinch Morrill's hospital's door stayed open. And we had ambulances from three or four counties coming to our hospital. We set up emergency ICUs where we did not have an ICU before. And we never thought there would be days in our nursing career that we literally had to see people die for issues that we used to have to send out. There were days that we called over three states for hospitals to try to get patients out, and we could not find one receiving bed because of the COVID surge. We wow. watched people die from non-COVID diagnoses because we couldn't get a stroke patient out or a cardiac patient out. It was, wow. it was a, a huge stretch for us, but critical access hospitals are in desperate need of support. And the, one of the ways that you can support that is through the Rural um, Hospital Tax Credit. It's called the Georgia Heart Program. And the state of Georgia has set aside $60 million every year out of their budget. And it said to, like, for you, yes. this taxpayer, if you want to give your tax, your Georgia tax liability, to a rural hospital, an approved rural hospital, we'll see it as a dollar-for-dollar tax credit. So S-Corps, C-Corps, um, pass-through entities, uh, people who pay taxes in the state of Georgia. And a lot of people go, well, I don't pay taxes. I get a refund. No, honey, you pay taxes. <laughs> it's just the taxes. way that you file. <laughs> but it, let's just say your tax liability is $7,800, Randy. Okay. You can say, I want to give that to Clinch Morrill Hospital. And the state of Georgia recognizes you as paying your taxes. Okay, so so uh, yes, I very much wanted to talk about this. I'm, I'm just completely intrigued by what you've learned over your tenure and over the last 18 months. I mean, it's just been, I could, we could talk for another 30 minutes, but I very much want to cover the, the state tax credit. So like you said, the state of Georgia has been very progressive from a business standpoint yes. in creating a positive, welcoming business environment in the state of Georgia, and not just for businesses, but for Georgia taxpayers as well. Yes. And they, I'm just completely impressed with some of these things that the state has done. But what the state of Georgia did, this goes back about five years, is mm-hmm. they created the Georgia Heart Program and designated certain hospitals as rural health organizations that qualified for taxpayer money. And so, correct me if I'm wrong here, but the way this works is, uh, T- Teresa and I, for example, yes, we absolutely do pay Georgia state income taxes. Every Almost every resident of Georgia pays Georgia state income taxes, whether they experience it or not, okay? Yes. All right, so we pay Georgia income taxes. So what the state of Georgia allows us to do is through the Georgia Heart Program, go to Georgia, georgiaheart.com. Yes. Okay, and we can say, okay, I want to give... 2,000, 3,000, 5,000, 10,000 we're mm-hmm. flow through so we have up higher limits but we can give through that and we can designate Clinch Memorial Hospital as a recipient of those tax dollars Yes. and then on our personal state income tax return we get a dollar for dollar credit credit yes. so what that basically what the state of Georgia allows us as taxpayers to do is to direct some or all of our Georgia state taxes specifically to Clinch Memorial Hospital. That's right. And there are um, so so many needy hospitals on that list, but there are several hospitals who are completely independent, who are not parts of large network health systems, and Clinch Memorial is one of those. We are not part of Navison or Grady or, you know, uh, South Georgia Health System. We are completely independent. And if you're not really sure when you go on that list, there's, I think, over 58, 59 hospitals that are eligible and you're really not sure who you want to give to, I'm asking that you consider 
Clinch Moral Hospital. If you love a Cinderella story, if you love rooting for the underdog, you know, just four years ago, we were on the verge of closure. Next, you know, we're in Time Magazine. We're taking care of patients on ventilators and trachs from Florida and beyond, not just in the state of Georgia. And this is not a charitable donation. This is you paying your taxes. You can allocate, reallocate every tax dollar you owe to the state of Georgia to Clinch Moral Hospital. And you're going to help keep our hospital open and viable if you do that. So so not only not only is uh, prior to the pandemic, not only was Clinch Memorial uh, stabilized because you've, you've done the things that you've done there, okay, but during the pandemic, while electives went away, you, uh, prior to that, you had extended rehab services to, yes. to help maintain viability, and during the pandemic, you uh, served as, uh, I want to call it an overflow location, where yes. you set up ICU, where you had an emergency room, you did some things like this, where, you know, Waycross or Valdosta or maybe North Florida, where, where they just, they had no more beds, and then, of course, like you said, the sad part is you, you saw people with non-COVID-related situations that, that passed because there were simply was no space anywhere, but still, you, you, you served so well. Okay. Yes. During the pandemic, where there were needs, you were able to serve, meet people's physical needs or medical needs, so on and so forth. Uh, and like you said, it's a critical access hospital that serves a community where there are no other medical facilities. And so you and I as taxpayers can direct our state tax dollars. It does not cost us more. It literally, through Georgia Heart, we simply elect to send our uh, state income tax dollars to Clinch Memorial Hospital, right? who is one of the very few rural hospital organizations that does not have a larger organization as a parent or an affiliate that's yes. helping to fund them. That's right? correct. That's okay. correct. Good, good. Well, uh, in the last couple of minutes that we have, what else would you like to share with the listeners? If there were two or three things that you wanted the listeners to know about life and you or purpose or anything, share it with us. Um, that you can be a part of what I'm doing and uh, changing um, livelihoods in Clinch County by, you can live in Atlanta, you can live in Lawrenceville, and you can make a difference in rural Georgia with us. Um, For anyone who is struggling in their leadership position or trying to work hard to get in that position, just keep at it. I mean, be open and teachable. And I tell all of my new managers and my college interns, the day that you think you know everything and that you've arrived is the day you need to quit your job. You have to constantly be open to growing personally and professionally and spiritually in order for you to make it and extend kindness. I want to say that I would not be where I am. Yes, there was a lot of hard work, but for kind people scattered throughout my life who lent a helping hand, who extended forgiveness and who was there. I mean, I believe that in a position that we're in, we have to pay it forward and we have to give back to those. So I just want to encourage everyone to do that. Continue to learn, be open, stay focused on the purpose, the mission, the why. Yes. Okay. And for Georgia taxpayers, please give to Clinch Moral Hospital. Give to these rural hospitals. If you want my number, I'll give it to Randy. He'll make sure that he he'll give it to anyone who wants to know um, right. more about us and ask questions. But it's a it's a very easy process, and you can make a difference by reallocating your tax dollars. Good. Good, good. Well, Angela, thank you so much. I, like I said, we could do another episode, but thank you so much for joining us for these two episodes. I have immensely enjoyed it Me and too. look forward to our next conversation. This is Randy Brunson with Centurion Advisory Group on this episode of Stewarding Family Wealth. Please tune in next month. We will have more to come.